The world and history are filled with religions, religions of all sorts, big religions, small religions. Today, we're going to discuss the origin of the world religions with Pat Zuckerin on Evidence and Answers. Welcome to Evidence and Answers. I'm Kevin Harris. Pat Zuckerin joins us for this important topic as we look at this world, Pat, of so many religions. What are some of the things we're going to talk about in this show? Well, Kevin, you know, religion has been with man from the very beginning of civilization. And big question is, how does religion come about? What is the origin of man's religions? And there's several prominent theories out there which we're going to discuss, and we're going to see which one has the evidence and also the biblical support for its case. Sigmund Freud weighs into this, and then Darwinian evolutionists, they have their theories. Let's talk about some of this. What are some of the various theories regarding the origin of religion? Well, basically, the theories fall into three categories. The first we have is the subjective theory, that really religion originates with man, and it's a projection of his imaginations or his wants and desires. The evolutionary theory is the second theory, that as Darwinian evolution was prominent upon the scene, that's when this theory came about, and that religion begins with very basic animistic beliefs and eventually evolves into monotheism. And then the third one is original monotheism. So the first two, men create religion in an attempt to explain the world around them and in their attempt to reach God. But in original monotheism, it teaches that the original religion was monotheism, that God reached down to man, and somehow that knowledge was lost throughout the centuries. So those are the three prominent theories out there, the subjective theory, the evolutionary theory, and original monotheism. You know, Pat, people tend to go back and forth as to what came first, polytheistic religions, the belief in many gods, or monotheism, the belief in, in one god. I've heard evidence for both. Right, and that's one that we're going to study, and that falls under the evolutionary theory. Now, the evolutionary theory is built on Darwin's theory, and that is that the first form of man's worship was animism, the worship of the nature and the spirits around him, that behind everything that happened in life were spiritual forces and that there were spiritual forces in nature. There were spirits of the ancestors. There was a lot of voodoo, witchcraft, and magic. That's animism, and animism eventually evolves into polytheism, that among these spirits there are the gods. And then from polytheism, it evolves into what's called henotheism, that among all the gods that are out there, there is one who is supreme that many seek to worship. And then the theory states that henotheism, the worship of one god, eventually evolves into monotheism. And that's the evolutionary theory that you stated there. Okay, we'll get into that some more here in just a moment. Two leading thinkers of the subjective theory on the origin of religion were Freud and Ludwig Feuerbach, what do these guys say? Yeah, Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, believed that man created God out of a need for a father image. And this is a need that is universal in all humans. So as humans advanced, the need for a divine father figure was created. And as they continued to advance and were able to explain the world around them, eventually this need was eliminated. And so Sigmund Freud taught that God is originally a projection of our need for a father image. Ludwig Feuerbach stated that religion is a projection of human imagination. It's in the subconscious realm. We all have this ideal being in mind, and God is the best that men and women see in themselves or in the human race. And so religion is a necessary dialectic of development for human progress. It enables 
indirect and involuntary self-discovery. And so Feuerbach was saying religion really tells us more about ourselves than it does about a being out there who is God. Really, it's a projection of all of our ideals. We take our ideals, we project it up there. Right. You know, big projector in the sky, almost. Right. Uh-huh. And now both of these theories fail in several areas. They seem to be kind of overlapping, maybe just a little bit. Freud seems to be saying, okay, it's a security blanket or a father. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. A need. And then uh, Furybox says, well, it's it's a need, but it's more along the lines of imagination and human longing and so on. So they're, they're similar, but there are some differences, sounds like. Right, that is correct. You know, and, and they both fall short on several areas, Kevin. You know, first of all, just because there is a need does not mean necessarily that there is no reality behind that need. You know, for example, you know, I need water. Does that mean water does not exist? So it does not explain why the needs are there. Second of all, what Feuerbach states is it's a projection of human imagination or our wants or at the subconscious level may be good in describing some of the other man-made religions. You know, for example, Islam and the harem of women that men receive in paradise or Mormonism, men becoming gods with their many wives. However, there's a lot in Christianity that we do not like, that it would be hard to explain is a human want or a human desire. You know, for example, the absolute holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And you know how hard it is to talk to men and women and say, you are a sinner. You've fallen short of God's perfect law. You know, that's really offensive to them. Or how about the whole doctrine of hell? You know, that without God, you're eternally separated from from him forever in a place of quarantine called hell. I mean, I as a Christian don't like believing that. And if I could project my ideal kind of religion, I wouldn't have a hell in there. I'd make it so that all of us could somehow uh, have eternal life with God. Yeah, we would try to come up with a less stringent God, wouldn't we? One not so demanding, not so holy. (laughs) Right. And so they don't really deal with the evidence. And also, how do we know that atheism may not be a self-projection? as well. Oh, that's huge. Freud was an atheist, and the, the sword kind of cuts both ways in that how do we know atheism isn't a rejection of the father figure and so on. Right, exactly. So in those areas, these explanations may be explaining some facets of the man-made religion, but there's also places where it definitely falls short of explaining the origin of man's religions. we got to look at the evidence, which one and what does you know the evidence from history show. And I believe it builds a case for the third one original monotheism. Original monotheism takes the evolutionary theory and turns it upside down. Instead of saying that the first form of religion was polytheistic, what studies have shown is that the oldest form of religion was actually monotheistic. Now, Dr. Wilhelm Schmidt in the 19th century began studying missionary reports from all across the world. He studied several hundred cultures that missionaries had gone to And what was he discovering was a remarkable similarity in all their accounts. And original monotheism teaches this, that religion begins with monotheism, with one God. And eventually, as cultures depart from the knowledge of this one God, they begin worshiping many gods. So it goes from monotheism, actually, then to the worship of lesser gods, polytheism. And actually, the most recent of the religions then would be animism, So the evidence was actually beginning to show the reverse of the evolutionary theory. For example, in over 500 cultures that he studied, missionaries were reporting in every culture that there was a belief 
in an original creator, Father God. You know, the Chinese called him Shangdi, the Koreans Hananim, and the African and South American religions, they were discovering that there was the belief in an original Father God who dwelled in the heavens, the creator of heaven and earth. And the character of the Father God, there were several characteristics that are consistent with what the Bible reveals. He is described as Father, that He dwelt in the heavens, that He is above all other gods, that He is the creator of all things, that He was characterized as being infinite, eternal, omniscient, and omnipotent. And this is consistent with the God who has revealed Himself in the Bible. And the stories that they were hearing, the accounts that He was getting, all followed the same pattern. The stories were very similar. The accounts usually went like this, that the ancient forefathers of these tribes and cultures had direct knowledge of this Father God, the God of the heavens who created all things. But somewhere along the line, the Father God was angered by the disobedience of the people, and they somehow became distant, and they lost touch with Him and knowledge of Him. And over time, communication and knowledge of the Father God was lost, and the people then began to worship lesser gods, the god of the sky or the sun or the moon or nature, who they began to believe were more involved in the daily life of the people. And so the oldest religion is original monotheism. Somehow that knowledge of God is lost and then it degrades to polytheism and then eventually the worship of nature. But among all the cultures, one of the things that Dr. Wilhelm Schmidt discovered was what we call the case for original monotheism or residual monotheism, that behind all of these spirits and gods was actually the knowledge of the Heavenly Father. Pat, that sounds kind of like what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1. One of the indications that you turn from the monotheistic God is you begin to worship the creature rather than the creator. By the creature, we mean created things. So Paul seems to indicate that original monotheism or belief in the one God was splintered into worshiping birds and images and things crafted after created things. Yeah, Kevin, that's right. Now, let me read that passage for you. It's from Romans chapter 1, where Paul states, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that all men are without excuse. So from natural revelation or the creation, they can have a knowledge that a God or a creator exists. But verse 21 states, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Wow, worshiping those things, birds, animals, reptiles, polytheism, and then also animism seems to be coming out of that as well. Right, and verse 24 goes on to say, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So it looks like the theory of original monotheism not only has the supporting weight of evidence, but is also biblically consistent in what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 1. And also, if we take the Genesis accounts, literally the flood accounts and the Tower of Babel, this would also be consistent with those accounts as well, that man had knowledge of God 
and from Noah and his family that knowledge was disseminated, but it was lost as men turned away from God in their sinful hearts and began worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So the evidence seems to support original monotheism, and it seems to be biblically consistent as well. Pat, it seems that uh, these theories, at least two of them that you've mentioned, the subjective theory of the origin of religion and the evolutionary theory of the origin of religion, those two seem to dominate university campuses today. What are your comments on that? Well, yes, they do. And they're, you know, man-centered kind of religion, that religion originates with man. And since our universities are dominated by the naturalistic worldview that God does not exist, therefore divine revelation does not exist, therefore miracles do not exist, it is natural since naturalism or atheism is the dominant worldview of the university campuses, that they would take these two theories. That's what I learned when I was going through college. I was taught that directly, but also at other university campuses. That's more implied, because throughout your public high school and public university experience, it is understood and implied that God does not exist, and you're taught all your curriculum from a naturalistic worldview. And so the world religions and the study of the origin of religions take the evolutionary view and I believe that's the most popular right now. And the subjective view is a secondary view. But the most popular is that evolutionary view because of the worldview of naturalism that dominates our universities. And we say when we say evolutionary view, we mean Darwinian evolution? Right. Well, it stems from there. And it yeah. became popular as Darwin's theory dominated that as man evolved, so religion evolved. Yeah, and yeah. it went from animism to polytheism to monotheism, when actually all the evidence shows the reverse. It went from monotheism to polytheism and finally to animism. I want you to touch on animism again. Polytheism is pretty easy to explain or define in that it is a belief in more than one God, multiple gods, and so on. Animism, where is that popular? And define that for us again. Yes, animism, or what people will call tribal religions. You see it not only in ancient times, but it's practiced today. And you find it throughout the Bible as well. But animism is the belief that there are spirits or deities behind all that happens, that there are two worlds, the spiritual world and the physical world, and what happens in one affects the other. And so in forests or in formations in nature, there are spirits that dwell. There's also the spirits of the ancestors, and you must live in harmony with them, and you must honor them. If you break any of the taboos, you eat from the wrong tree, you cut down the wrong tree, you don't honor the ancestors daily with food sacrifices or incense, then they'll be upset and they'll bring misfortune or disaster upon you. And so the animus lives in constant fear of these deities and spirit beings who exist throughout nature and are in direct contact with those of us here in the physical world. I guess a way to remember that, uh, what animism is, is that animism is a belief that uh, various spirits animate otherwise inanimate things. Now, would this describe some ancient or some Native American religions? Yes. In fact, animism is kind of like a parasite. It infiltrates all of the major religions. You'll find animistic forms of Christianity as well as Islam and Catholicism and Hinduism and Buddhism. Uh, you'll find anima animistic traces amongst all the world religions that are theirs. So that's why, you know, it's important as Christians that we really study the Word of God and not allow 
you know, our Christianity to be some kind of folk Christianity, but a biblical kind of Christianity. What are some examples of original monotheism in, in various cultures? Well, Kevin, you know, there are many, as Dr. Wilhelm Schmidt studied over 500 cultures. And in our time, Don Richardson also did a work on that. Uh, several books called The Peace Child or Eternity in Their Hearts. That throughout these cultures, there is a belief in a original monotheism, what they call residual monotheism. For example, the Encyclopedia of Religion and Ethics states that the Chinese culture, you know, before Confucius, before Buddhism entered, before Taoism, 2,500 years before Christ, the Chinese worshipped the Heavenly Father called Shangdi. They understood him to be the creator and lawgiver. They believed that he was never to be represented by an idol. That's consistent with biblical revolution, uh, revelation. Wow. Now, when the Zhu dynasty controlled China, during the years of 1066 to 770 BC, the worship of Shangdi was replaced by the worship of heaven itself. And eventually the three other religions were spawned into China. But if the oldest religion in China you know, was the worship of Shangdi, the heavenly father. Here's another one. In the region of Calcutta, India, there lived the Santal people. And they were found worshiping elements of nature. So many thought that these were animists. However, what was discovered by the missionaries is that before these practices developed, they worshipped Thakur Jew, the genuine God who created all things. And although they knew he was the true God, their forefathers, their ancient forefathers of their tribe forsook worshipping him and began entering into spiritism and the worship of the lesser gods who ruled over some aspect of creation. So there's another case in India, of original monotheism that eventually downgrades into polytheism. Here's another one. In Ethiopia, the Gedeo people, they number in the millions and live in different tribes. And these people were making all kinds of sacrifices to evil spirits out of fear. Once again, many missionaries thought that these were animists. However, what they learned about the religion of their forefathers that behind this practice is an older belief in Magano, the one omnipotent, infinite, eternal creator of all. And once again, you have that same consistent story that knowledge of him was lost. And eventually their forefathers began worshiping these lesser spirits and deities. Here's another one and a final one I'll go through. The Incas, you know, in South America, the same story also applies. I mean, Alfred Matro, the author of one of the best works on the history of Incas, discovered that the Incas originally worshiped Someone called Viracocha, the Lord, the creator of all things. The worship of Inti, the sun god, and other gods are only recent departures from this monotheistic belief, but that the Incas originally worshipped Viracocha, but knowledge of him was lost by their forefathers, and they began worshipping these lesser deities of creation. So, throughout the history of many of these cultures, what they have discovered behind their animistic and polytheistic beliefs is that residual or original monotheism, the belief in a heavenly father, the creator of all things, omnipotent and eternal. And as they departed from the worship of him, they began to worship these lesser gods and deities. Fascinating. And, and in light of that, how does this affect our approach to world missions and, and reaching people, like perhaps who have never heard the gospel? Yes, well, it has had a 
a phenomenal effect on world missions and our approach to cross-cultural ministry, especially those who have never heard the gospel. Now, the old method, missionaries would go into new cultures assuming there was no knowledge of God the Father, and the missionaries would introduce a new word and concept of God to the culture. And often, some were effective, some were not. The indigenous people often viewed the Christian God as a foreign God or the God of the West or God of the white man and resisted accepting him. Now, with this understanding of original monotheism, it has revolutionized, turned the missionary approach upside down because now missionaries who enter a new culture, one of the first things they do is they seek the understanding of who God the Father is according to the indigenous people there. They ask him, who is uh, the heavenly, you know, who is the God of the heavens or the heavenly father? And they seek this information. Now, once it's discovered, they use that name to designate the God of heaven and earth. And they tell those people, we have come here to teach you how you can have a relationship with the God of your forefathers, the God of heaven and earth. So the indigenous people now see the missionaries as introducing them to the God of their fathers and not a foreign God. You know, let me give you a couple examples here. In China, you know, when missionaries first went into China in the 1800s, they heard the stories of the father God of China, Shangdi. Now, these missionaries came in and did not accept the Chinese concept of the father God and introduced a new word to designate the God of the Bible. And so Christianity grew very slowly in China as a result. The Chinese saw Christianity as being the religion of the West or some kind of foreign religion, introducing a new God. And the missionaries were saying, yes, that's what we're doing. You know, you had no concept of God the Father. Shangdi is a false God. Therefore, we're introducing a totally new God. And they came up with a new word to designate the God of the Bible. In Korea, however, the missionaries went to Korea, had a different approach. They were hearing stories of Hananim, the father of heaven or the heavenly father of Korea. And the missionaries realized that this was residual monotheism. And they began to use the title Hananim to designate the God of the Bible. And they went to the Korean people and said, we are not introducing you to a foreign God, but the God of your forefathers, Hananim. We want to teach you how to know him. And as a result, the Koreans did not see Christianity as a foreign religion, but the religion of their fathers. And as you know, in Korea, the church just exploded there in the nation of Korea. Uh, Korea, the churches, you know, some of our largest churches in the world are there in Korea, and they're sending missionaries throughout the world. Eventually, that approach came to the Chinese uh, missionaries, and they finally decided to use Shangdi, the name of God that was used by the Chinese. And when they began doing that and introduced using Shangdi to designate the God of the Bible, then Christianity exploded in China. And as we know today, the underground church in China numbers about 80 million people. And that's our best estimates, but it's just continuing to uh, explode there in China. And so there's a couple examples of how original monotheism revolutionized our missionary approach. You know, we believe the Bible to be the Word of God, and if we're created in the image of God, it would make sense. It's reasonable to conclude that we have within us as part of the as part of being created in the image of God, that knowledge of the residual monotheism within us as well as Romans chapter one and two states that innate within us, we understand that there is a creator who created all things. And the knowledge of the Heavenly Father kind of resonates within us. 
And also, you know, the early chapters of Genesis, if they're true, you know, if God created a worldwide flood that through which the all the human race was destroyed and we begin with Noah and his family again, then it would be reasonable to conclude that all men originally had a knowledge of God. And as they disperse throughout the world, that they continue to carry that knowledge of God with them. And this theory makes a whole lot of sense biblically, it seems to be consistent with biblical revelation that men begin with a knowledge of God and as they depart from it, they begin worshiping the creation rather than the creator. So we've got the historical evidence to support original monotheism and is most consistent with biblical revelation. We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. And right now, there's a free offer from Evidence and Answers, Pat's teaching on the Da Vinci Code deception. The Da Vinci Code book and movie will continue to impact the world for some time. And you can expect sequels and spinoffs to continue to influence people to doubt the claims of Jesus Christ. So get Pat's teaching on this important subject for free. It's yours for the asking. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on Contact Pat. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucharin. Don't forget about the free offer we have, Pat's teaching in front of a live audience on the Da Vinci Code deception. Go there now. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidence and